Welcome to the Minor and Landis Immigration Update, the podcast that helps immigration professionals, foreign nationals, and their employers stay abreast of the shifting and complex regulations involving immigration law. In recent months, we've seen an increase in the number of requests for evidence, or RFEs, and the number of notices of intent to deny, NOIDs, or as we call them, NOIDs issued by U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services in connection to Form I-140, the Immigrant Petitions for Alien Worker, filed by U.S. employers on behalf of foreign national employees, which is a required step in the employment-based lawful permanent resident process. Now, we've noticed that many of the issues raised by USCIS seem to be the result of corporate changes or business losses that occurred in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. We recently received two extensive I-140 petition RFEs, one of which resulted in a NOID, and we were able to successfully advocate on behalf of our clients to get the cases approved. Through the process of responding to these RFEs, we learned some key points which we believe resulted in our clients' cases being approved, and that's the subject of today's podcast. Written, of course, by immigration partner Lynn Walker and available as an article on her LinkedIn page. And just remember when searching for Ms. Walker that her first name is spelled L-I-N. So let's dive right into our first case study. All of the relevant personal information has been changed, of course, as we value the privacy of our clients very highly. The first RFE issued by USCIS resulted from the employer's change in the area of intended employment. Simply put, the address listed on the I-140 petition for the area of intended employment did not match the area of intended employment on the certified form ETA-9089, or the Application for Permanent Employment Certification, which we call the PERM application. As many immigration practitioners, employers, and foreign nationals are aware, PERM applications are currently taking well over 10 months to be adjudicated by the U.S. Department of Labor, followed by processing times of over 10 months to 24 months by the Nebraska and Texas Service Centers of USCIS. During these extensive adjudicative periods, it can be pretty common for employers to change locations, and this became even more prevalent during the COVID-19 pandemic. In this particular case, we filed the I-140 petition and advised USCIS that the area of intended employment had changed from that listed on the PERM application, but was still within the same Metropolitan Statistical Area, or MSA. And that's really what's most important here, right? Well, USCIS still issued an RFE, asking the employer to justify the change in location of intended employment. In our RFE response, we advised USCIS that the Department of Labor regulations state that, quote, if the place of intended employment is within a metropolitan statistical area or a primary metropolitan statistical area, any place within the MSA or PMSA is deemed to be within normal commuting distance of the place of intended employment, end quote. And an MSA here is defined as a geographic core urban area of 50,000 or more population consisting of one or more counties. So we also provided documentation evidencing that the new area of intended employment listed on the I-140 petition 
was only about nine miles from the area of intended employment listed on the certified PERM application. And we proved this by including several things. A Board of Elections map showing that both locations were in the same county. And also driving maps showing that the two locations were within normal commuting distance. Seems pretty simple, but this really was necessary to show. Together, this documentation established by a preponderance of the evidence that the area of intended employment listed on the I-140 petition was within the same MSA as the area of intended employment listed on the certified PERM application and resulted in our client's case being approved. The second RFE, the one which resulted in annoyed being issued, was more challenging and this one gets a little bit twisty and turny so please bear with me. USCIS questioned our client's ability to pay the proffered wage because the employer's corporate tax return for 2020 from their form 1120 did not evidence an ability to pay through either income or net current assets. The proffered wage was $100,000 per year and the employer's Form 1120 showed that it paid more than $18 million in salaries and wages in 2020. The foreign national's W-2 for 2020 showed that she earned an annual salary of $75,000, but this was only because she joined the employer on June 1st of 2020. Her W-2 for 2021 showed that she earned an annual salary of $150,000. USCIS regulations require an employer to demonstrate its ability to pay the proffered wage from the date the PERM application is filed, otherwise known as the priority date, to the date that the foreign national becomes a lawful permanent resident. To provide additional guidance, on May 4, 2004, William R. Yates, Associate Director of Operations, USCIS issued the Determination of Ability to Pay Memo, otherwise known as the Yates Memo, which states in part, this is the relevant part for what we're talking about here, quote, an applicant or petitioner must establish eligibility for the requested benefit. If the record is complete with respect to all of the required initial evidence, CIS adjudicators are not required to issue a NOID to obtain further documentation to support a decision based on the record or establish the petitioner's ability to pay. CIS adjudicators should make a positive ability to pay determination in any one of the following circumstances. 1. Net income. The initial evidence reflects that the petitioner's net income is equal to or greater than the proffered wage. 2. Net current assets. The initial evidence reflects that the petitioner's net current assets are equal to or greater than the proffered wage. And three, employment of the beneficiary. The record contains credible, verifiable evidence that the petitioner not only is employing the beneficiary, but has paid or currently is paying the proffered wage, end quote. In this case, the foreign national became an employee of our client on June 1st, 2020. Her priority date was December 20th, 2020, and her W-2 for 2020, which included only six months of income, only showed an annual salary of $75,000. In our initial response to USCIS, we stated that although the employer's Form 1120 for 2020 showed negative net income and negative net assets, 
the employer obviously had the ability to pay the proffered wage because the foreign national earned $75,000 for six months of work in 2020. And had she been employed for the full year, she clearly would have earned an annual salary of at least $150,000. In addition to including her W-2 for 2020, we included her bi-monthly pay stubs from June 1st to December 31st of that year, confirming that she earned $6,250 each pay period. Now remember, the employer's Form 1120 showed that it paid more than $18 million in salaries and compensation in 2020, so common sense would dictate that the employer possesses the ability to pay the proffered wage of $100,000. In issuing the NOID, USCIS conceded that the employer did indeed have the ability to pay the proffered wage in 2021. USCIS still stated, however, that the employer did not have the ability to pay the proffered wage as of the priority date because its Form 1120 showed negative net income and net assets for 2020. In other words, the sole issue for USCIS was whether the employer had the ability to pay the foreign national's wage from December 20th, 2020 to December 31st, 2020, a period of only 11 days. In responding to this NOID, we found several non-precedent options from the Administrative Appeals Office, which stated that, quote, USCIS will prorate the proffered wage if the record contains evidence of net income or payment of the beneficiary's wages specifically covering the portion of the year that occurred after the priority date, and only that period, such as monthly income statements or pay stubs, end quote. According to these AAO decisions, USCIS was required to prorate the proffered wage, where the employer included copies of the beneficiary's pay stubs covering the portion of the year that occurred after the priority date, which in this case was December 20th, 2020 to December 31st. By applying the AAO's logic and prorated calculations, we were able to show by a preponderance of the evidence that our client had the ability to pay the proffered wage at all relevant times. That is, we showed that the prorated proffered wage for this 11-day period was $3,014, while the foreign national's prorated annual salary for the same 11-day period was $4,296.88. As the foreign national's actual earnings from December 20th, 2020 to December 31st exceeded the proffered wage for the same period, we were able to show that our client had the ability to pay the proffered wage and USCIS approved the I-140 petition. I-140 petition RFEs and NOIDs can be complex and challenging as there are many issues that must be assessed. It is critical not to overlook any particular issue as it can have a detrimental effect on the outcome of the case. Accordingly, we highly recommend that U.S. employers and foreign nationals contact a qualified attorney for a consultation as soon as such an RFE or NOID is received so that the attorney may review the RFE or NOID and determine what information and documentation are required to proceed. Thanks for listening. Disclaimer, the information contained herein is intended only for educational or informational purposes and is not a substitute for legal advice. 
Further, listening to this HR tip in no way establishes an attorney-client relationship between you and Miner and Landis LLP. Listeners should consult legal counsel for definitive advice regarding the current law and regulations and how those apply to your unique situation within your organization.